Welcome to the eighth episode of the fifth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to a remarkable community member from Australia. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She's a seasoned CX executive, having headed up customer advocacy functions for some of the world's most recognized brands, including Vodafone, Telstra, and Suncorp, and is now the CEO of Senya Projects, a business she founded to help businesses harness the power of their people to achieve their customer goals. Her focus is now on improving customer and employee advocacy as an enabler for organizational growth. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Kristin Haynes. Kristen. Hello, Claire. How are you doing today? Yeah, super good. Super good. It's about uh, 8 p.m. here at night. So uh, I'll be uh, ready for my uh, my glass of red. Oh, nice. And whereabouts are you? <laughs> I am um, I'm in Sydney and uh, we've had a we've had a gorgeous day here today. So, uh, yeah, it's um, we're well and truly into uh, into summer, which has felt like it's been a long time coming. I'm so jealous. It's like the bleak midwinter January in London. It's very grey and rainy and cold and frozen most of the time. So <laughs> no, well, we are. I, I think we started to think that early into uh, early into December, we felt as though the rain was never going to go away. Mm-hmm. But um, come January, it seems to have come good. Amazing, amazing. So let's jump straight in then. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure the listeners would love to know a little bit more about how you found your way into Women in CX and what you've been doing and getting out of being part of our community so far. Yeah, look, I um, I I love the community. I I think I'm I'm now a couple of years in, um, and it's uh it's been fantastic. I uh, I I suppose the catalyst for me with with getting involved with Women in CX, um. I'd probably fallen out of love with customer experience. I remember the um, first conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'd I'd been in, you know, into CX for for fifteen odd years, you know, and I'd I'd led some great teams and I'd worked with some great local brands and and global brands, uh, and I I think I just got to a got to a point where I knew why I got involved with CX. Um, but I sort of felt as though I'd been pulled away from all the areas that I that I loved, um, you know, namely being a customer advocate and being able to uh, measurably improve the customer experience. I, I didn't feel I was doing that anymore. Uh, and so I I took a step back and I I went back to study. Uh, you know, after after sort of fifteen years in this area, I thought, oh, I might look at some formal study just to make sure that I I am doing all the right things. Um, and I went and I got my CCXP qualification, and that was again sort of that was an interesting process. And and I um I was then sort of looking for what's a group I can become involved with, um, which is which is collaborative, which is going to bring together people from all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was looking for something which sort of felt authentic. And, and I think that's probably the word that springs to mind when I when I think about 
women in CX and and the women who um, I've had the, the the privilege of engaging with. Yeah, it's a wonderful crew, isn't it? You've got two of our values in there. <laughs> Authentic Yeah, no, they really are. And I, you yeah. know, I, I, there's so many facets of, of, of what you've, what you've done, you know, be it, you know, the, the, the webinars, be it the, the, the articles that people write, there's just, and, you know, the, the caliber of the, of the people who, you know, are all so accomplished in their individual fields. I've, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed being a bit of a sponge, um, you know, taking on board some fabulous tips and tricks along the way. Yeah, well, it's been absolutely fabulous to have you and thank you so much for all your contribution so far. And yeah, super excited to have this podcast. So um, I'm sure the listeners want to hear more about this career journey that you went on. So you said you kind of told us about the point at which you fell out of love with customer experience a bit because um as we all do when we move into leadership we get further and further away from the fun parts and more sitting in meetings and stuff don't we and now for a quick word from one of our sponsors we are proud to be supported by Kantar the world's leading evidence-based insight and consulting company Kantar CX helps clients define customer and employee experience strategies better understand their customers via measurement and in turn improve business outcomes driving true commercial ROI to find out more about Kantar CX practice, please visit the sponsor links on the homepage of womenincx.community. Now back to the episode. What was your career journey? Where did you start and, and, and how have you ended up where you are today? Tell us more. Yeah, look, all of all of my roles to date have um have really been with, with big brands. Uh, you know, straight out of uni, I started with Coca-Cola. Uh, and you know, sort of started in a in a sales capacity and found my way into marketing. Uh, you know, I then went on to to work with Goodman Fielder, uh, a company called Maxim, who were the distributor for Jim Beam and Absolute Vodka. Mm. And so, I sort of very early in my career, I had great exposure to all these phenomenal brands. Um, and I was probably about twenty five when I joined Vodafone Australia. And I, uh, I ended up doing 10 years with Vodafone, uh, of which half of those were in the field of customer experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so loved my years with Voda. Um, they were an incredible company. They were, they were sort of seen as the disruptor in the Australian mm -hmm. marketplace. And I, I loved that. It had a fantastic culture and a real energy about it. Uh, and so, yeah, love my time there, but I left Vodafone and I, uh, I went on and joined the competition, being Telstra, uh, who were the number one player in town. Very different business, uh, you know, incredible history, um, you know, some, some an, a real legacy in the Australian market. Uh, and I look, I really enjoyed my, my two years with Telstra. Uh, I then went on to News Corp. Uh, and so Intermedia, which was which was a new industry, uh, again, in the field of, of customer experience and, and employee experience. Uh, and so um, after nearly four years with News Corp, I was offered the opportunity to get involved with stadiums and, and entertainment centres. And so I joined a business called uh, Venues New South Wales, which were a government entity, uh, and I was brought on as their chief customer officer. And uh, look, incredibly exciting time. We were in the process of launching a new stadium, which was the first in, in 20 years. 
uh, the first since we'd uh, opened the uh, Sydney Olympic Park for the Olympics back in 2000. So, uh, so yeah, it was a great time and I, I, I loved my time with venues. Wow, so FMCG, distribution, telecoms, uh, media, <laughs> and yeah. events and stadiums and government services. Wow, that's an incredible set of experiences. Um, what was one barrier or challenge you had to overcome to become the woman that you are today? <laughs> yeah, probably the most the most recent one, Claire, and I know you and I talk about this with the with the challenges of being a a solopreneur mm. I you know I think there's there's so many stages on that on that solopreneur journey where you find yourself going oh my goodness corporate is is so much easier <laughs> you know I, I I understand that beast uh you know I I know how to how to navigate those corridors. Um, I I love the budgets available to do what I need to do. Uh, you know, when you go out on your own, you you lose all of that that infrastructure. Mm. Um, you know, you lose that backing. As 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 you and I discussed, you you often lose those sounding boards. Uh, you know, those people who are able to say, actually, that's not a great idea. Uh, and then there's the practicalities of of running the business, you know, learning all of a sudden, you know, you've gone from a salary appearing on the 15th of every month yeah. to, you know, that that level of, of uncertainty. And I think that's unsettling. So I, I think the greatest challenge you need to overcome is that that ability to stop doubting yourself mm. and to be able to get back on the horse day in, day out. Uh, you know, some days are harder than others. Some days you, you you take some real knocks and you think, I don't know if I'll get back up from this one. But but you do and you you have to keep backing yourself. And I think that's probably been the, the, the biggest personal and professional challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just for context, listeners, we had a little chat just before we started recording uh, about some of the challenges of going from like zero to year one year one to year two and into year three and just saying actually it feels like it just gets harder <laughs> as things get bigger things get more complicated um but absolutely the most resilience building <laughs> job I've ever done has been um as as being self-employed but there definitely are those moments where I think oh it'd be so much easier just to go back to corporate and have a full-time job where I go home at the end of the night and it's not my responsibility if <laughs> the business fails or succeeds. Um, but at the same time, like there are a lot of reasons why I left corporate to do my own thing and be the master of my own customer experience, my own destiny without um, any of the the, the, the the stakeholder challenges of differences of opinion. Um, but it certainly is a set of trade-offs, isn't it? There's no perfect <laughs> one um, and just being able to balance out which which feels more rewarding. But yeah, I'm absolutely with you there. It's very much character and resilience building. And um, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, and uh, I think the other thing, too, which which I just which I which I love about it. And when we talk about sort of getting back on the horse and one of the things that I think sort of continues to inspire me is mm. some of the incredible people I've met along this journey. Mm. And I, I must say just just people who, a, again, it's that entrepreneurial mindset. Um, it's, it's the hustle. 
you know that the fact that you 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 don't know what's around the corner so you you've got to you've got to hustle you've got to stay nimble you've got to be um open to opportunities that you know you you never had to in corporate land you were able to you were able to shut things down you know you you knew what was going to make money um you knew the roi on every single thing that you did um there's there's a lot of uncertainty in in our world and i think part of the the areas of you know that i've that i've just i've, I've learned to love as i've gone along this journey is just some of the incredible individuals who inspire me um and you know keep keep me getting back up on those days where you think wow this is hard yeah yeah it's this adaptability isn't it to whatever comes and I think that's probably one of the single biggest assets I now have is to be able to master uncertainty with adaptability no and you know to your point of backing yourself needing to keep that belief that everything will turn out okay as long as you continue to pursue the vision and make good decisions along the way that line up with the values of what you set out to do um you can't really go wrong well you probably can but (laughs) Uh, but being able to believe that um in yourself and in your vision and your own leadership to be able to steer that course and yes and absolutely and being part of our community and seeing all these incredible women who run their own businesses as solopreneurs or as founders and women that have grown their businesses into agencies. Um, I find so much inspiration from others too. <laughs> and you, I think you need that, Claire. I think you need that, mm. that nourishment. Mm. Uh, and that's, I think, certainly what the Women in CX community provides. It's that, you know, it's that watering of the garden, uh, yes. you know, so that, you know, we we can get up the next day and do it all again. Yeah, keep getting back on that horse. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so one of the amazing contributions you made um, to the community was recently coming and doing a, a webinar. Um, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about what your webinar was about? Yeah. Uh, look, after um, after I left um, Venues New South Wales, uh, so I'd been with them for a couple of years, I was approached by a, by a business called Capability Co., uh, and this was probably my my first interaction with a startup. Um, as I said, with my career journey, I really only knew sort of big business and and big brands. Um, but Capability Co were were doing something which, from day one, I was just so bought into. And what their basic premise is is all about is they they partner with a body called the Institute for Working Futures. And the Institute for Working Futures has carried out a a large body of research into what the future of work is going to be. And there's a lot of unknowns. We've got the emergence of all these these new roles. Um, You know, they're actually called sort of new collar and green collar. Uh, and, And the fascinating thing is, at a, at a very broad level, we we know sort of what these what these roles are going to are going to be. You know, we know yeah, in just, the green area. Yeah, yeah. As I say, for just for the listeners' benefit, do you want to explain new collar and green collar? <laughs> the yeah, absolutely. So, look, the new collar is is really focused in this in this data analytics, AI, machine learning. They, these are these are sort of not new roles, but I think we're we're really just on the 
on the cusp of what this could turn into. And that's the piece that we don't know. What's that evolution going to be? What are the roles that take you know, AI and data analytics, what are they going to look like in five and 10 years? Um, we don't we don't know that. We've, we've just got a little bit of a sense. And then we talk about green collar and we talk about areas such as, you know, sustainability. And obviously there's a, there's a real focus on, you know, social purpose and what businesses are doing to make sure that they are, are having a, a, a responsible footprint uh, and that they're being very mindful of their impact on, you know, communities and, and the people who work for them. So I think we're, we're seeing a, a change in potentially what the future of work is going to look like. Mm. And so the essence of what Capability Co are, are not, I was going to say promoting, but I don't even think it's a promotion. The essence of, of what they are trying to educate business around is the need to shift from a focus on on jobs as as the as the capability so jobs and, and your job title and what it is that you do this has always been the focus and you know for people like you and I Claire who come from a corporate background you know jobs are what gave us our identity I think we're seeing a shift to more of what is the what is the innate human capabilities that are going to make us effective employees, effective solopreneurs, effective founders. What are those core human capabilities? And to give you an example of, of, of what we're talking about here, we're talking skills like creativity, uh, innovation, uh, and then obviously close to both of our hearts, customer focus. And the idea is, is that regardless of the role that you find yourself in in five or 10 years time, these human capabilities, uh, which also include leadership, um, these are going to be relevant regardless of what your job title is. And so Capability Co are working with a number of large corporates within Australia and they're rolling out the human capability standards and this is ensuring that their people are going to be skilled for the workforce of tomorrow. Mm. Mm. And it's, I, so it's super exciting, yeah. super exciting. Yeah, I remember thinking when you did your webinar, like we didn't get taught that stuff at school, but does that mean that people will get taught this stuff at school in Australia in the future? Well, we, yeah, we hope so. Wow. I think at the at the moment we're we're very much again on the on the cusp, and mm. you know, Capability Co are working with the the sort of the corporate end of town, but they also have a really exciting trial underway with high schools, mm. and this is about identifying even at that high school level, what are your natural human capabilities. Mm. So if you think back to yourself. Claire in year 10 at school. Long, long time ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what What were you sort of thinking about in the future? You know, no doubt you were sitting there going, oh, God, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably not great at science. You know, I don't know if maths is my thing. And so you found yourself pigeonholed into this little box where 
potentially you, you didn't know what the future looked like because there was this this set curriculum that mm. you know you were you were sort of being pushed through and you were going to be spat out at the other end with this nice little number um, that apparently determined your future worth in the yeah. employment market. Yeah, and crazy. I think it just undervalues people. And so again, I think what the human capability standards do a great job of doing, and I hope they will be able to do it for a number of 14 and 15 year olds out there who might be considering leaving school because they feel as though they don't fit. Mm. The human capability standards are going to allow them to identify, are they natural leaders? Mm. Are they naturally creative? Are they naturally innovative? You know, what are some of their core skills and therefore what might be the career path that they might take that will build on that sort of innate core capability? Mm, this music to my ears because I was a, a, a girl with ADHD when it wasn't very well understood and that um, traditional kind of learning approach exams coursework traditional subjects just it was really difficult um and I think there was like pressure to conform so I was actually good at science until a, a level it got very very hard um but like if I could go back now like I wouldn't have chosen subjects like um, physics and um German and like these really kind of like technically difficult <laughs> um very deep learning subjects if I could do business if I could have done business if I could have done psychology if I could have done that kind of thing I would have flourished for sure um yeah. but it wasn't like the traditional path to get into a red brick university and I went a very squiggly way to a red brick university in the end where I went to I failed my A-levels pretty much I got like one C in English literature because I like that the other subjects I basically flunked or well, got really bad grades and I couldn't get into a red brick university straight out of the bat. So I ended up going to equine college and studying horses because that was my passion. Um, and that degree came with business management and marketing. And I'd never done any of that at school or at college, um, like the senior level. Um, and I just discovered like I had this like real flair for like learning about marketing and eventually got a two one and it got me into this red brick university university of birmingham but like it was not a straight path for me to do that um yeah. and if i and i just felt i find that so amazing that like if people are going to be educated and recognized for these innate human capabilities that aren't necessarily like the traditional um approaches to learning i think it's gonna open up the world for so many more neurodiverse people to succeed and be happier and feel more part of it um the nicer i couldn't agree more yeah and i think claire i mean your your story you know you you had a lot of grit to you know go that squiggly path that you did so many kids don't and and i think they become disillusioned and you know they they, they drop out at year 10 they're they're not really sure you know what they're good at and so i i think that the human capability standards will provide young people with some much needed direction and and a little bit of and a little bit of hope that you know they do have these skills and therefore they can be successful 
in a multiple uh, of different areas. And I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's super exciting. Yeah. And it was white collar, wasn't it? People who code and work in that kind of space. Is that white collar? What was the word? Tradition, yes. Yeah. They're they're sort of the the future white collar roles. Future white collar roles. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because for for me, I think there's something really important about gender dynamics there, because today only 12% of people that work in AI are women. Um, so that kind of like STEM developer development, um, artificial intelligence stream is still a very male dominated industry. And I think for customer experience, especially, we need to get more women working in that space because that is the way that customer experience of the future is also going. Um, so again, heartened to hear that this is going to be happening at grassroots level where there is a 50 50 balance before they get to the point of having to choose those subjects and choose careers and hopefully that helps to balance things out a bit more um oh, I, think... I, I, I hope so and I yeah. I think there's there's probably that uh, an equal mix of sort of you know bottom up with speaking mm-hmm. to them at that school level yeah. but also top Edgy. down yeah. at that corporate company level and mm-hmm. we are seeing a shift there too you know yeah. even <laughs> even in Australia we've got you know one of our our largest uh, supermarket chains, Woolworths, you know, they're spending $50 million on putting over 60,000 of their employees um, through learning and development focused programs, specifically centered around data analytics, AI, automation, uh, you know, because they're recognizing that these are the skills of the future. And so, you know, ideally, we are going to address some of that that gender gap through programs like that as well. Yeah, oh, I loved Willis. So I used to work in supermarkets. So whenever I travelled, I'd always go and visit all the different supermarkets. But yeah, I really enjoyed Willis and Coles, isn't it? It is. <laughs> in Australia. Our two big guys. Yeah, amazing. Um, so let's just dive a little bit deeper into to the kind this employee aspect. Then, so you know, kind of came up through customer experience now you're in a world where you're much more focusing on um, employees and capabilities. What is your perspective on employee experience? What are the key, most important things to get right in that space? Yeah, I I think I was probably quite lucky in all of my respective customer experience roles in that they always had a cultural employee experience component to them Mm -hmm. so I I consider myself quite lucky that in in every role my my leader in the business um, got that we needed to connect our employees with the customer Uh, and if employees didn't get it and if employees weren't on the bus Mm. around the need to have a customer focus Mm. then our customer experience efforts were never going to be successful Mm. Mm -hmm. so accordingly as as part of my strategy there was always always a strong employee component Um, and look even sometimes you know that was a little bit removed from customer experience Uh, you know during my time working with with one of the large telcos I led a program uh, which was a uh, which was a coaching program. So we put 500 of our most senior leaders in the business um, through a program which really had you know two core objectives: uh, teaching them to be vulnerable, 
and to recognize the importance of coaching in their day-to-day -day roles. And then secondly, teaching them to be courageous uh, and to have the tough conversations with people that sometimes they may have veered away from. And the view was, is that if our leaders in the business could show that, that vulnerability and be equally courageous, then they earned their right to be a leader. Mm. And I think that was uh, quite a quite a momentous program for this particular organisation that was traditionally quite hierarchical. And, you know, people were simply, you know, in the top jobs because they were in the top jobs. Uh, and, you know, nobody questioned, you know, whether, you know, they were effective as leaders. Um, this business... As I said, they they turned that a bit on its head and it said, you know, in order to be a leader in this business, you need to be an effective coach. And mm -hmm. so I think that was a very uh, powerful program, which obviously had flow on effects to a large number of employees in the mm -hmm. business who now felt that their dynamic with their leader okay. was changed because their leader had now learnt these skills that mm. some may have possessed before, some didn't, uh, but their leaders now had these skills which allowed them to be more effective leaders. Yeah, it, it is such an important skill as well, isn't it? And like the transformation that can come from coaching others to find the answer for themselves and the growth and development at all levels when that is a skill that leaders possess is infinite yeah. possibility isn't it but the traditional dominant command and control management approaches to leadership can be very stifling and I think you know back to that earlier point about the younger generation are looking for different things from their experience of work they're looking for opportunities um, where they can be themselves be authentic show up to work um, be fully embraced like it, unless the leaders within that business can role model that and show that the top talent of the future is not going to stay with those businesses so um I think you're absolutely right yeah yeah and and I just kind of back to that gender dynamic thing again I know it wouldn't be women in CX podcast if I don't talk about the <laughs> the female aspect but um like women leaders tend to lead in a more collaborative way where um aspects such as coaching are more highly valued there's a longer term view of even learning and development versus uh, typically men I'm not saying all men and women think this way but this is the research no, no. that that suggests that this is a difference in how people think and lead at a senior level is more short term for men it's more focused on numbers and it's more focused on delivering those numbers in the shorter term so when it comes to like investing in people investing in um capabilities and skills um I think in there's probably no coincidence that a lot of the C-suite HR directors are actually women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and being able to to get that 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 through. So I think kind of through the course of all of this, it's you know being able to have that equal representation, isn't it, of of of, of women in those roles that are going to affect the future, in those leadership positions that can ensure that the employee experience is one that the future generation and talent are going to be equally valued and be able to. Um, achieve their full potential and um 
yeah like I, I just feel like there's definitely a connection there and I'm just yeah so look happy. I I I do I agree with you I I think too and and this is a good thing when I when I look at some of the what I call the the, the new age companies um I'm I'm probably not seeing the divide to the extent that I did in the kind of companies that the that you and I you know uh you know did our did our time with you know so sort of you know with without sort of picking on but but be it a be it a coca-cola or a telstra um you know these are these are large companies with a lot of history uh and and when you think about uh employee experience and you sort of think about the you know the three levers that generally mm. you you have to pull. So you know which is which is generally environmental. Uh, you know it's it's cultural, and then we're looking at the tools. And are we mm. giving the people the tools that they you know that they need to do to do the job we've asked them to do? I don't necessarily think those those levers have changed. I think you know they're still the key levers, but I think the approach that particularly these new companies are taking with respect to those three levers, that's where we're seeing a fundamental shift. Um, so let's let's look at the environment one for, for a second. I, I think 10, 20 years ago, you know, a lot of the big companies recognised that it was a good thing to have a nice office. You know, and people want to have somewhere that's nice to go to, and you know, so they so they built some big beautiful offices, and you know, and we we had some we had some lovely, you know, we had some lovely offices out there. I'm I'm sort of fascinated by uh, we uh, we have a, an exciting new office building going up in Sydney um, from Atlassian. Um, mm. So you you'd be familiar with sort of an, an Australian success story, um, mm. which is which is the Atlassian boys and what they've created. So currently under construction is a one billion dollar tower, wow. um, which Atlassian is just sort tower. of. Oh, which is which is next level, and um, this, this really is a is is a thing of beauty. Uh, and they were recently asked whether the project would still continue, based on the degree to which they have embraced flexible working, and they really have a very clear principle, and they're open with all of their staff that you do not need to be in the office. And so they were questioned around whether, you know, this $1 billion investment would still go ahead um, in light of this, this flexibility policy. Mm -hmm. uh, and their answer was very much that they want to cater to the different audiences within their business. Mm -hmm. And they want to make sure that for those who want to come into the office, that they have a, a beautiful office which encourages you know, collaboration and, and innovative thinking. And for those that want to work from home, well, they can work from home. Mm -hmm. So going back to this environmental lever, it's no longer this idea of, you know, let's create this space and everyone's now going to rock up at nine o'clock in the morning and, you know, and we're going to have a nice space for them to work. The idea is more about um, we now recognise that all of our employees are different and for those who want to be in the office, haven't we got a fantastic space for you? For those of you who don't, what tools can we put around you that will allow you to be equally as effective? Mm, and there's a lot of work going on in workplace experience design now. I know um, a colleague, oh, massive. I think she's in Australia, actually, Sue Lim. 
Um, like that's the specialty of her company now is like designing workplace experiences from like the building aspects um, and then interfacing with how does that work in an omnichannel sense and I think it's fascinating that you know this is a world that was pioneered in customer experience but is absolutely applicable now in employee experience from a design point of view Um, and just a, a side point I guess about this like working from home thing so I think, you know, we were born in a generation where it was the office or nothing, right? So uh, this working from home was a luxury and remote working or hybrid working now just to make total sense, doesn't it, to us? But um, I, I've got a young team. Um, they came straight out of university during the pandemic and came straight to work for me in a fully remote job role. Um, they've never known anything different than that. They've never had that experience of working in an office. And I was talking to one of our younger members yesterday who also graduated at that time and went to work for a company in London. And she is so bored of like working from home. She wants to be in the office environment. Um, so I think, you know, what you, you say about this Atlassian example is totally true. It's being able to cater for the different needs of different people at different stages of their careers, of their lives and the the best companies will enable people to work however they want to work and in whatever way best suits them not the other way around um and there are undoubtedly benefits for women especially from being able to work from home and hybrid um in terms of their career development because if they don't have to like leave early for things like school runs and get the bias that they encounter um i think you know it's a really powerful tool to enable more women to um, achieve even greater things with less bias. <laughs> mm. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think, that, yeah. So that's lever number one is environment. What was yeah. lever number two? Well, that's that's the culture. culture yeah. So this is this is coming down to, you know, what is what is the what is the culture that we're going to create in this in this business of ours which is going to allow people to thrive and again I think culture has has always existed uh, I think the lens that was traditionally taken is how can we create a culture that will allow people to achieve their KPIs mm. so it was it was more about the business and what have we what have we got to do? What policies have we got to put in place? What sort of you know frameworks? Uh, what are we going to do that allow someone to be effective in their role? Mm. I think when we look at culture now, we're seeing such a shift toward you know well being and you know mental health and the the, the programs. That I'm that I'm seeing come out. So I um I, I was a judge on the International Customer Experience Awards last year, and I uh, well, one of the categories that that I was judging in was was employee experience, and I was I was blown away by by some of the initiatives that that people are working on, and again, particularly in this startup space, mm. you know, so much innovation and. You know, I, I even look at some of our, our sort of local success stories and, and what we're doing in this space. Um, so we have a we have a business out here uh, uh, called uh, Safety Culture, uh, founded in 2004. They're now a 
you know, a billion dollar business. Um, I love safety culture because the, the the bloke who actually founded it was in Townsville, where I did a little bit of time in uh, in far north Queensland. Uh, but this business is such a success story. And one of the things I, I love about it is, you know, when they talk about sort of employee benefits and, you know, they have a great, um, you know, they have a great office set up going back to environment. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that they create different rooms in their office, which bring their customers to life. Mm-hmm. So i.e., you know, they might have, you know, for want of an example, you know, Toyota might be a customer. So here's their Toyota room. You know, they might have New South Wales Transport as a customer. So here's their New South Wales Transport room. You know, so again, going back to this idea of how can you create a a space which people find value and makes them want to come into the office, then I think um, culture safety, um, also safety culture have done a a phenomenal job. Um, But the reason I, I highlight them is, again, speaking about sort of innovative practices and something as simple as leave, um, you know, they they offer leave to support victims of domestic violence. Wow. They offer leave for women who have suffered miscarriages. Um, you know, these are really innovative programs which, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, this was not a space that, you know, corporates played in um you know I think even when you even when you're sort of put in for sick leave you know the drop down box to say what you actually were applying for was optional um you know it was a, it was a little bit of a sort of ask no questions here no lies I think you know the startups are doing a really good job around um trying to be uh transparent and encourage people to bring their their whole self to the office and in turn, they're developing policies and procedures which, you know, which reward someone bringing their whole self. And that includes, you know, if you are facing some, some mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I think they're, they're one example of a company that, yeah, is, you know, setting the new benchmark uh, around what, in particularly, you know, young people who might be new to the workforce, this, in my mind, is is going to be the the, the expectation. Um, you know, I think the likes of flexible working, um, you know, again, it's it's going to become table stakes. Yeah. I, I look at companies. Another success story, again, an Australian-based business um, called Indebted, and you'll love what they did, Claire. If you're not if you're not familiar with the the, the business. They fundamentally overhauled the whole approach to debt collection. So if we think about, you know, the the hideous images that spring to mind of a couple of heavies turning up on your doorstep and knocking, you know, because you haven't paid such and such. um, Indebted's whole premise was sort of injecting the human element into debt collection. Um, You know, understanding what was going on for people. Uh, you know, using machine learning uh, so that they could understand more about their customers. And, you know, they use tools like like WhatsApp and email um, in order to be able to engage with customers. And funnily enough, they have nearly 90% of debts repaid without actually a person-to-person 
engagement. Um, And again, incredibly successful company, but 100% remote workforce. Um, As of last year, they introduced a four-day working week. Um, Again, might not be for everyone, but the reason that they introduced it is because they said, we've listened to our people. Um, You know, a number of our people have said they're experiencing burnout. They haven't got the work-life balance that they want. So again, you told us, we listened, and this is now an option that we can put on the table. So again, I think we're going to see more and more of these, you know, and and I think it's probably easier as a startup. You know, you're able to get it right from the get-go. I think, again, for these legacy companies, um, you know, like a Sainsbury's, there's there's a lot of legacy processes and systems and, you know, it's can make it very difficult to turn the ship. Yeah. I think for a young company, it is it is easier to, to get it right from the get-go. Yeah. Especially culture and to change culture is almost impossible if it's been there for a long time because it took such a long time to create in the first place in those big companies. I'm just conscious of the time now. We're like almost out. We are. What was the we, third... are. we know how to chat, Claire. We do, we do. <laughs> what was the third lever? So we've done environment, culture. The third the lever is tools. Tools, right. Absolutely. Okay. So are you, and I think when we talk tools, I think you can look at the you can look at the the sort of the traditional tools of you know are we allowing you know people to be effective in their roles and and again you know if we talk about uh, again using Atlassian you know they have their their fabulous tool being Jira which took project management to a whole nother level I think there's there's that side and technology has a role to play. But I also love when we talk tools, Um, we've got a number of companies here in Australia, they offer their employees, you know, 12 month subscriptions to mindfulness apps. So, you know, as as someone, Claire, I know you sort of mentioned, you know, the importance of, of meditation in your world, you know, how great is it that, you know, someone joining a company, that they're offered the Calm app. Yeah, yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So that was an amazing conversation about human centric businesses. I think, you know, the thing that's overlapped throughout all these parts of our conversation has been about, um, it's not about customer or employee experience, even in the future, is it? It's about human experience. And those businesses that really understand people, whether that's from a customer, employee or stakeholder point of view, are the ones that are going to be best placed to succeed. um, And, you know, managing the three key levers of culture environment and tools for their people within the organization no doubt with that customer focus it's going to be a much better world and i'm fantastic to hear how australia is leading the way and i'm definitely going to dig more into that atlassian case study so in just final words is there like one piece of advice or a key takeaway you'd like to leave the women in cx podcast listeners with today kirsten ah look i uh I'd love to see more and and more women taking up the, the the customer experience mantle. And I, you know, if there's one thing that I've sort of learnt, you know, over the last two years since, you know, running the the, the customer focused program and, and, you know, often I'll have, you know, 200 people on a masterclass mm-hmm. and none of them come from a customer experience background. But I love the fact that they get to the end of it and they say, oh, this is fabulous. You know, I can make a real difference here. And, you know, I never thought about customer experience, you know, as a career. career. And so I I think for anyone 
for anyone listening on the call and uh, and who isn't already operating in a in a CX or an EX capacity, um, you know, by no means underestimate the journey that you've been on and the value that you can add in this space. Because my experience has, has certainly taught me that it's from people, you know, from all walks of life and a mixture of, of different disciplines who really are making a difference in this space. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on the podcast today. It's been amazing to hang out with you. I've really enjoyed this. And yeah, just left with lots of thoughts around the future of diverse and inclusive workspaces being driven as a result of this human capability point of view. So thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more about becoming a member of the world's first online community for women in customer experience, please check out womenincx.community. Join us again next time where I'll be talking to one of our community members from the United States about brands, marketing and the holistic view of customer experience. See you again soon.